Good morning, dear friends. Welcome to the day of mindfulness. Today we have a chance to practice uh, listening to a Dhamma talk. And after that, uh, walking meditation. And then uh, mindful eating, mindful lunch. And then we shall have a practice of uh, deep relaxation, touching the earth. And uh, there will be a presentation and also a question and answer panel. The Dharma talk is a practice. And uh, it's best that when we listen, <coughs> we stop our thinking. We just allow the Dharma to penetrate into our, uh, our heart. No thinking. It's strange, but uh, that is the practice. Uh, uh, we do. Our mind is like uh, the soil. The garden. And there are many good seeds that are already in it. The seed of understanding the seed of love, the seed of uh, forgiveness, the seed of joy and hope. We have many good seeds in the soil of our consciousness. So a good Dhamma talk is a talk that uh, can water the good seeds in us and help them to sprout and bring up the energy of joy, happiness, understanding and love. Therefore, we don't need to, to think. Just allow the Dhamma talk uh, as the rain penetrating into the soil of our, our, our heart and help uh, water the good seeds in us. The way we use to listen is um, to compare our, uh, what we know and the things that are being said. When someone says something, we want to bring our, uh, our knowledge up and we compare. If uh, they coincide, and then we said, yes, I agree. And if they do not uh, coincide, I said, no, I don't agree. And in both cases, we learn nothing. So the best kind of listening is no, no comparing, no thinking. Just allow the Dharma talk to penetrate and to work on the land of our soil. That is uh, the art of listening to a Dharma talk. And then we shall have uh, the walking meditation. Walking meditation is walk in such a way that every step can help bring uh, joy, peace, and healing. Because we have the habit of running, and uh, we have to learn how to stop. To stop in order for us to be able to touch deeply the present moment, the here and the now.
Because life is available only in the present moment. So every breath, every step helps us to go home to the here and the now and touch life deeply in that moment. And if we can touch the wonderful, refreshing, healing, nourishing elements of life in us and around us, we get that transformation and healing. That is why walking means stopping, stop the running. And with uh, mindful breathing, mindful making of steps, we completely establish ourselves in the present moment and we touch all the wonders of life that are available. Mother Earth is a very beautiful planet. And if, if you walk, walk like that, the kingdom of God, the Buddha's land, is available to us at every step. With every breath, every step, we touch the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha, that is available in the here and the now. This flower, she belongs to the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha. And if we are mindful enough, concentrated enough, we can touch the kingdom in the flower. And also our body is also manifestation of the kingdom of God, of the pure land of the Buddha. Your body belongs to the kingdom. It's a wonder. So we don't have to go somewhere else to search for the kingdom. You don't need to die in order to go to the kingdom. The kingdom is available in the here and the now. The problem is how to make ourselves available to the kingdom. And that we can do with our mindful breathing, mindful walking. And if we have enough mindfulness, concentration, and then every step we make have us touch the kingdom. We need only one step in order to enter the kingdom of God, the pure land of Buddha. There are those of us who are used to the practice and we enjoy walking in the kingdom of God every day. We don't run anymore. We have been running a lot already. Now we want to stop. And many of us know how to do that and enjoy doing that from the parking lot walking to a place where, where we walk, we enjoy the kingdom with every step. When we breathe in, we might like to make uh, two steps or three steps. We bring our attention to the sole of our foot. We touch Mother Earth mindfully, like kissing her. You don't, uh, you, don't, uh, you don't concentrate here. You bring your attention to the, to the sole of your foot and you touch Mother Earth like that. The contact between the foot and the ground and you say, I have arrived. I have arrived in the kingdom of God. I have arrived in the here and the now where all the wonders of life are available.
I have a right. I have a right. And that is not a statement. That is a realization. You have to arrive truly in the here and the now. Otherwise, you cannot touch life. You cannot touch the kingdom of God. And that those of us who can arrive to 100% in the here and the now, just by making one step, because we have trained ourselves to walk in such a way, we enjoy the kingdom of God with every step, with every breath. The fact is that we should find the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha, right in your breath, in your steps, not outside of it. And that's a matter of training. So from the parking lot to go to your working place, you enjoy the kingdom with every step. All the tension in your body, and you enjoy walking. And when we walk together like that, as a group of 500, 1,000, the collective energy is very strong, very powerful. The collective energy of mindfulness, of concentration, of joy, will be very nourishing and healing. And together we can produce that wholesome energy for our healing and the healing of the world. I have a right. I have a right. And then when you breathe out, you make three steps, and you say, I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. I don't run anymore. I feel at home with every step. And we need some mindfulness and concentration in order to, to do that. To stop running and to arrive to find the here and now as our home. Our true home is in the here and the now. And if we can stop and arrive in the here and the now, we have peace and joy. We may begin by two steps with our in-breath and three steps with our out-breath. I have arrived, I have arrived, I am home, home, home. And if you, uh, you, if you enjoy every step, you feel light, you feel happy, your practice is correct. And if you suffer, it's not correct. And later on, you may change the number of steps according to your, to your pleasure. You may find that uh, three steps for your eight breath make you happier, and then you and then you you make uh, three steps. I have arrived, arrived, arrived. Always arriving, and when you breathe out, five steps. I'm home, 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 home. Usually our, our breath is longer than our in-breath. That is why two goes with three, three goes with five, and four 
rose with six. Uh, personally, I begin with uh, three, five. And then I will continue with four, six. And when I climb like this, the number of steps will be reduced uh, naturally uh, to keep my pleasure, to, 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 to preserve my pleasure and my joy. So you feel how many steps you want to make when you breathe in and you breathe out. And if everyone is uh, doing so, together we will create a very powerful collective energy of peace and joy, very nourishing, very healing. I have arrived, I am home, arrived in the here and the now, in the kingdom of God. I am not looking for anything else, because uh, the kingdom of God is available in the here and the now. Happiness is available in the here and the now. Joy, love also. Everything you are looking for should be found in the here and the now. That is uh, the practice. I have arrived, I am home, in the here, in the now. In the here, in the here, in the now, in the now, in the now, which is uh, the same the same with I have arrived, I am home. The here and the now is the address of the kingdom of God. Easy to remember. It is the address of joy and peace. It is the address of nirvana. Nirvana is every step. You don't need to die in order to go to Nirvana. You have to be very alive in order to touch Nirvana with every breath, breath with every step. There is no way to Nirvana. Nirvana is the way. There is no way to the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the way. So touch the kingdom with every step. And that is possible with many of us because we have trained ourselves to do so. Otherwise, we waste our life. I have arrived. I am home. In the here, in the now. I am solid. I am free. When you walk like that, you cultivate solidity. Solidity means you are not being pulled away by the past or by the future. There is that regret, that sorrow, that like to pull you away to the past. There is that energy of fear, uncertainty, worries, that like to pull you away to the future. And if you are bailing on your step and your breath with mindfulness, you are solid. The past, the future, your projects cannot pull you away from the here and the now anymore. And you enjoy walking as a free person. Mindfulness and concentration make you free. Walking meditation make you a free person. It's wonderful to walk on this beautiful planet. It's a miracle to walk on earth and feel alive. 
I am solid, I am free. That is not wishful thinking, because if I fully focus on my in-breath, out-breath, and my step, I am solidly established in the here and the now, and nothing can pull me away anymore. And when you are solid, you are free. You are free from the past, the future, your projects, your fear, your anger. So walking meditation is also to cultivate freedom and happiness and joy. I am solid, I am free in the ultimate ideal. The ultimate means uh, the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is God, is Nirvana, is our true nature of no birth and no death. In appearance, we think that we are subjected to birth and death. But when we look deeply into something like a cloud, we know that uh, it's impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud cannot die, can never die. To die means from something you become nothing. From someone you become no one. But a cloud cannot become nothing. A cloud can become the eyes, the snow, the rain, but never nothing. So the true nature of the cloud is the nature of no birth and no death. And our true nature is also the nature of no birth and no death. And when we have enough uh, concentration and insight, we touch our true nature of no birth and no death. And we are free from all kind of fear, fear of birth, fear of death, fear of being, fear of non-being. And that ultimate is Nirvana in Buddhism and God in uh, Christianity, Muslim, Islam, uh, Judaism, and so on. And according to this teaching, you don't have to go and look for God, for Nirvana, because you are well established in God, in Nirvana in your nature of no birth and no death. It's like a wave. A wave seems to be subjected to birth and death, being and non-being, going up and going down, more or less beautiful than other waves. But if the wave is capable of touching her nature, which is water, the moment when the wave is aware that she is water, she loses all kind of fear, fear of being, non-being, uh, going up, going down. And the, and the wave does not have to go and search for water. She is water in the here and the now. We are, uh, we are in our true nature of no birth and no death. Our ground is God. Yeah, our ground is nirvana. So if our mindfulness and concentration are powerful enough, we can touch God. We touch nirvana with every step. And that is what means by in the ultimate ideal. The wave can live her life as a wave, but she can do better. She can live her life as water at the same time. 
And if uh, the wave how knows how to to live her life as wave and water at the same time, she is no uh, subjected to any kind of fear and craving anymore. Joy, happiness, non-fear is possible for the wave at every second. So walking meditation can very can be very deep and. Uh, uh, we can do that uh, in our daily life. Walking at the airport, walking uh, by the riverside, walking from uh, your home to the bus station, we can enjoy the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha and God and Nirvana. Mindful eating is also a deep practice. It's a very nourishing and healing when we sit mindfully and share a meal. We know that in the Christian tradition, uh, there is uh, the practice of the Eucharist. When you uh, hold, when you see the piece of bread, you see the body of uh, Jesus Christ and you get in touch. But in the Buddhist tradition, that piece of bread is the body of the cosmos. When you hold a piece of bread with mindfulness, you see the whole cosmos is in a piece of bread. Time, space, uh, star, moon, uh, earth, rain, uh, cloud, are in a piece of bread. So it needs only one or two seconds to touch the to be in touch with the cosmos by looking at a piece of bread. And when you put it into your mouth, you chew it mindfully and you are in touch with the whole cosmos. Do not think. Stop the thinking. Just enjoy chewing the bread. And you can chew slowly, at least 30 times, and you, you find out that it's very tasty if you chew the piece of bread 30 times or more. Sometimes you try a piece of bread without uh, butter, without uh, uh, jam, and you find after 30 times of chewing, it becomes very tasty. It's already half digested already. And when we uh, share a meal together mindfully, we do not talk, we do not think, we just feel, feel the wonders of life in us and around us. And we eat every morsel of our lunch like that. And we create together a very powerful collective energy of mindfulness, peace and happiness, and gratitude that will do all of us. So eating is a very deep practice. And then we have uh, a session of deep total relaxation, touching the earth led by Sister Tenkong, and she will explain to you how to do it. But now we shall begin our, our day of mindfulness with the chanting. The chanting is also a deep practice. 
And the monastics will do uh, 15 minutes of chanting or less. And the 15 minutes of chanting can heal us if we know how to attend and listen to. Mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. When you drink the tea, that's mindfulness of drinking, if you drink it mindfully. Mindfulness of walking, mindfulness of and hold it tenderly like this. And doing so, you can heal. Listen to your suffering. Holding your suffering, that is the practice. So the monastic will chant uh, the name of Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of deep listening. And when they chant the, first for the name for the first time, they go back to themselves and touch the suffering inside of them. Our suffering carries within itself the suffering of our father, of our mother, of our ancestors. Our suffering also reflects the suffering of our nation, of our, of our society. And that is why it's very important that we listen to our own suffering and understand our own suffering. If we can understand our own suffering, and then we can understand the suffering of the other person, of our partner, of our father, of our uh, son or daughter, and understanding suffering always brings about compassion. When you look at someone, and if you can see the suffering in him and in her, and if you can understand that suffering, you are not, no longer angry at him or her, because compassion is born in your heart. You don't want to punish him or her anymore. There is a, the energy of compassion in your eyes. The way you look at him or her is full of compassion. When you look at someone like that, you don't suffer, and that person feel wonderful. You, do, you are not angry at him or her. You don't want to punish him or her anymore because you have understood the suffering in that person. And you want to do something or to say something to help him or her suffer less. It means that compassion is born in your heart thanks to the fact that you have seen and understood the suffering. But before you can understand easily the suffering of the other person, we have to understand our own suffering. And this is our practice. And when the monastics uh, chant the name of Avalokiteshvara for the first time, they get in touch with the suffering inside. And the purpose is simple, to allow the energy of compassion to be born and healed. Understanding suffering always bring about compassion. And then when they chant for the second time, they reach out and recognize the suffering in the people in front of them, on their left, on the right, behind them. And the purpose is the same, allow the energy of compassion to be born, to heal. And when they chant for the third time, they reach out, and recognize the suffering in the world. Everywhere, in the Middle East, 
Syria in uh, zones of uh, hunger, discrimination, violence, war, poverty. And the purpose is the same, to allow compassion to be born. And when every one of us can produce that energy of compassion, and then the collective uh, energy can help heal all of us. We have to allow ourselves to be in the zone of that uh, energy generated by the chanting and by listening, by the listening. So the most uh, effective way is to allow yourself to relax and let the collective energy of the Sangha to penetrate into your body. Stop the thinking by focusing our attention on your in-breath and out-breath and, and on the chanting. Because the, the thinking will take us away from the here and the now. You think, therefore, you are not really there. So stop the thinking is not difficult if we know how to focus our attention on our in-breath and our allow, we allow our body to be penetrated by the collective energy of the Sangha. It's like a drop of water in the river. She allowed the whole river to embrace her, to transport her. She surrendered to the river. And we, as practitioners, we surrender ourselves to the Sangha. Dear Sangha, this is my body, these are my feelings and emotions. Please help, hold it for me. And uh, there is a tension, stress, and pain in our body. And if we allow the collective energy of Sangha to penetrate into our body, and then we can release that tension easily, and we feel better, much better, after a few minutes of listening. And if you have uh, some fear, anger, loneliness, despair in your heart, it's time to open your heart, to allow the collective energy of Sangha to penetrate. Dear Sangha, here is my fear, here is my despair, my loneliness. As a beginner in the practice, my, my energy of mindfulness and concentration is not strong enough to hold it, so please help uh, hold it for, for me. Practicing like a drop of water, allowing the whole Sangha, the whole river to embrace and transport. And then uh, if you allow the collective energy of Sangha to hold your pain and your sorrow, you will feel a relief and suffer less after a number of minutes listening. This is very wonderful. And if it happens that you want to cry, you can allow yourself to cry. But always remember to, 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 to breathe in mindfully and breathe out mindfully and allow yourself to be embraced by the collective energy of the Sangha. It's called mindful crying. And if we have someone in the family who is sick, 
who suffers deeply but who cannot come to the day of mindfulness. We can very well send this energy to him or to her at home just by thinking of that person or calling his name, her name silently. And this wholesome energy will be uh, sent, channeled to that person at home. And this morning at home they will feel better. So everyone is invited to follow uh, our in-breath and out-breath and allow our body to relax. We shall practice together. We are participants, we are practitioners and not observers.
Breathing in, I enjoy breathing in. Breathing out, I enjoy breathing out. When we breathe in mindfully and with some concentration, we get some insight right away in just two or three seconds. And that insight is that we are alive. I breathe in, I know I'm alive, I'm there. Because someone who is already dead cannot breathe in anymore. And since I'm breathing in, I know that I'm still alive. And to be alive is a miracle. It's the greatest of all miracles. And you touch life. You touch the fact that you are there, alive, fully present with this planet Earth. So when you breathe out, you, all, you can already celebrate the fact that you are alive. So mindfulness, concentration, and insight can come together. Mindfulness, concentration, insight, are the three kinds of energies generated by the practice of mindfulness. And they have the power to heal, to transform. With mindfulness, it can generate joy, happiness. A practitioner of mindfulness can generate a feeling of joy and happiness whenever she wants. Because uh, as uh, she breathes in mindfully, she brings her mind home to her body. And when mind and body are together, you are established in the here and the now. You are fully present. You are fully alive. And you touch the wonders of life that are in you and around you. And you recognize there's so many conditions of happiness that you, are, you already have, more than enough for you to be joyful and happy. And you know that you do not have to run into the future in order to seek for more conditions of happiness. They, they are already more than enough. We are very lucky than many other people.
It's like we have eyes, still in good conditions. We need only to open our eyes and then a paradise of forms and colors is available. Our heart is a condition of happiness because it still functions normally. So there are many conditions of uh, well-being and happiness that are already there inside of us and around us. So to make it, to, to, to generate a feeling of joy and happiness is easy when you are able to touch the conditions of happiness that are already available. So in principle, if you are a practitioner of mindfulness, you can generate a feeling of joy and happiness at any time you want. And you can help the other person to do the same. Darling, we are very lucky. We have so many conditions of happiness. Darling, breathe in and enjoy this very pleasant moment. So mindfulness has the capacity to bring joy and happiness. That is art of happiness, just by the energy of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a source of happiness, a source of joy. And mindfulness, you cannot buy it in a supermarket. You have to fabricate, you have to generate by your practice of, of breathing, of walking, of sitting, and so on. And when the, when the energy becomes collective, it can, it can transform and heal. And the other, the other function of mindfulness is to help you to handle the pain, the suffering in, in yourself. If we know how to recognize the pain in ourselves and hold it tenderly and listen to it, we get the relief. We suffer less. It's like a mother holding her baby. The baby suffers. But when the mother holds the baby tenderly like this, the tenderness, the energy of tenderness from the mother begins to penetrate into the baby, and the baby suffers less. The same thing is true when we know how to hold our pain with the energy of mindfulness. Mindfulness is the mother, and the pain in you is the baby. If you know how to hold it two, three, four minutes, you suffer less right away. That is the art of suffering. We have the art of happiness going together with the art of suffering. Please listen. If you know how to suffer, you suffer much less. That is the art of suffering. And not only you suffer much less, but you know how to make good use of suffering in order to create something more positive, like understanding and compassion. It's like when you grow lotus flowers, you need the mud. Lotus flowers cannot grow on marble. So the mud represents the suffering. If we know how to make good use of suffering, and then we can produce joy and happiness. Because as we already learned, holding suffering, listening to the suffering, always 
generate energy of compassion. And compassion is the kind of energy that can heal and transform. So compassion, love, is the lotus that grow out of the mud of suffering. So we can speak about the goodness of suffering. You don't need to throw the suffering away. You know how to make good use of it in order to create understanding and compassion. Because true happiness is made of understanding and compassion. A person who does not have any understanding and compassion cannot relate to any living beings. She is completely cut off. A person who does not have understanding and compassion cannot be a happy person at all. So we know that understanding and compassion are the very foundation of happiness. Not money, not fame, not power, not central pleasure, but understanding and compassion. And these two kinds of energies can be generated by the practice of mindfulness, mindfulness of suffering. And that is why we can speak about the goodness of suffering, the goodness of the mud, because the mud helps us to produce beautiful lotus flowers. And you do not have to be a Buddhist in order to practice mindfulness. You don't need to be a Buddhist in order to breathe in mindfully. And you do not have to make an effort to breathe in because you are breathing in and out all day long. So effortlessness is the nature of the practice. You don't strive, you don't fight, you do not impose a practice on yourself. You do not suffer because of the practice. You just enjoy breathing in, you just enjoy making a step. And mindfulness allows you to do so. So allow yourself to breathe in and out naturally. Just focus your attention on your in-breath and out-breath. And if you are attentive to your in-breath, what happens is that your in-breath and out-breath become slower, more peaceful, deeper after a few minutes. That's what we notice. Just be aware of your in-breath and out-breath. Enjoy breathing in and out. And the quality of your breathing will improve by itself. You don't need to make it longer, deeper. They naturally become longer, deeper, and more peaceful. And when your breathing is uh, peaceful, deep, harmonious, and then your body will profit from it. Your body will become lighter, uh, more peaceful. And also your feelings will be more peaceful. So between, uh, between the breath, there is uh, the body and the feelings. If you practice mindful breathing and improve the quality of your inward and out breath, and your body profit become more harmonious, more calm, more relaxed. And your feelings can come down. 
So your mindful breathing helps both body and feelings to calm down. And your breathing is a kind of bridge between body and mind. In our daily uh, life, very often our body is there, but our mind is elsewhere. And in that, these moments, we are not truly alive. And according to this practice, you need only to breathe in mindfully, and you ride on your in-breath and go home in just one, two, three seconds. And when your, bar, your mind is with your body, you are well established in the here and the now. And you can touch the wonders of life inside and around for your nourishment and healing. And if parents and teachers know how to do that, they will transmit the practice to their children and students. Uh, this, the practice is possible in the family and in the classroom. And the family will be happier, the classroom will be happier. And if you are in the city council, the national assembly, you can practice to improve the quality of your life as a businessman, as a politician, and so on. So mindfulness can be taken up by anyone in order to improve the quality of life. First of all, the practice of mindful breathing can calm your body. Breathing in, I'm aware of my body. You bring your mind home to your body. You might spend two hours with your computer and you forget completely that you have a body. <laughs> and during these few hours, you are not truly alive. You do not touch the wonders of life. You are lost in your work or entertainment. That is why in Plum Village, our monastic brothers and sisters and lay practitioners we program a bell of mindfulness in our computer. Every quarter of an hour, the bell sounds, and we stop, and we begin to breathe in and out, and reconcile with our body. Breathing in, I'm aware of my body. And that is the third exercise of mindful breathing proposed by the Buddha. There is a scripture called the Sutra on Mindful Breathing, in which the Buddha proposed 16 exercises on mindful breathing. The first one is breathing in, I know I'm, I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. Just recognize your in-breath and out-breath. The second is Breathing in, I follow my in-breath from the beginning to the end. I follow my in-breath all the way through. And breathing like that, you allow mindfulness and concentration to, be, to grow. And your pleasure will grow with mindfulness and concentration. The third exercise, breathing in, 
I know I have a body. I'm aware of my whole body. And the fourth is uh, breathing in. I release the tension in my body. These four exercises are proposed by the Buddha for us to take good care of our body. So a practitioner knows, knows how to release the tension in her body. Driving, sitting on a bus, uh, cooking breakfast, she knows how to release the tension in her body just by mindful breathing and stopping the thinking. So everyone uh, can practice the third and the fourth uh, exercise of mindful breathing in order to help release the tension in our body and reduce the amount of pain in our body. Because uh, the pain is a function of our of, of uh, the tension. If we know how to release the tension, the pain will be reduced. So, uh, not only parents, teachers can do so, but uh, they can teach their children and uh, students to do the same and make uh, the family and the classroom more pleasant place to be. And uh, in, in uh, cooperation, if the administration of cooperation knows how to practice this, they go happier, less nervous, more loving, more understanding, and they can teach, they can allow their employees to practice the same relaxation. We have instructed um, many um, uh, CEO, the uh, director of cooperation to practice and allow the, uh, the practice to be taken up by employees, workers. And that will not take away the time to produce, to, 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 to produce goods. But when the people are relaxed, more happier, they can do better work. So it can be used in corporations as well. And in politics, if politicians are more relaxed, more loving, more understanding, we all profit from their work. And of course, we don't need to be a Buddhist to do all these things. And then the next, uh, the next, uh, function of mindfulness is uh, to help you generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness, whenever you want. The art of, of, of happiness. It's simple because mindfulness allows us to recognize the many conditions of happiness we do have already in the here and the now. And to produce a feeling of joy or happiness for you is easy. For you to nourish yourself and uh, you can help uh, your partner, the other person to do the same. You are a reminder. You can offer her, offer him your energy of mindfulness and help the other person to wake up to the many conditions of happiness that uh, 
he or she already has. And she will not run anymore into the future to look for happiness. It is possible to be happy here and now. That is the teaching of the Buddha. One day, the businessman Anatta Pinika brought a lot of businessmen to visit the Buddha in the Jeta Grove. And that day, the Buddha gave a discourse on how to live happily in the present moment. The Buddha knew that businessmen tend to think too much about the future, their success in the future. They sacrifice the present for the future. They do not have the time to take care of themselves. They do not have the time to take care of their beloved ones. So the Buddha said, gentlemen, you can be happy right here and right now. And the expression, living happily in the present moment, was used by the Buddha five times in the same discourse. So according to that teaching, you don't have to run into the future and seek for happiness. You stop with mindfulness and you recognize that happiness, joy, and love, and God can be available right now. You don't run anymore. Happiness will not be possible unless you know how to stop. Stopping is an art. And your willingness to stop is not enough. You have to train yourself in order to stop. And walking meditation is one of the most pleasant ways to stop running because you arrive at every step. So, first of all, the energy of mindfulness helps you to release the tension in your body. And then it helps you to generate a feeling of joy and happiness. Third, it helps you to recognize the pain in you and embrace it. And as you know how to embrace and listen to your pain, understanding and compassion arise, and you can calm down your pain. You suffer much less, and then you can make good use of the suffering in order to create understanding, compassion, to heal yourself and to heal the other person. And then there is another practice, the practice of mindful listening, mindful speaking. When you know uh, how to look, you can see the suffering in him or in her, and you would like to make him or her suffer less, because you yourself have suffered less. So you, you look at him or her, and you recognize and you understand that uh, the other person is full of suffering. And he does not know how to handle the suffering in him. You, you know how. You know how to recognize and embrace your suffering. You get a relief. But that person does not know. And so far, no one has helped him or her to suffer less. That is why he continues to be a victim of his own suffering. And he, if he makes the people around him suffer, that's not his intention because his suffering can be spilled all over 
around him. So if you understand like that, you are not angry at him anymore. You want to do something to help him or her to suffer less. You have the energy of compassion in your heart. And you can use loving speech. You can say, darling, I know you have suffered so much in the last many years. I could not help you to suffer less. I did not, I was not able to help you to suffer less. In fact, I have reacted in such a way that make you suffer more. I'm sorry. Darling, it's not my intention to make you suffer. It is because I did not see, I did not understand the suffering in you, your difficulties, your despair. That is why I have reacted like that. So please help me, darling. Please tell me what is in your heart. Your difficulties, your suffering, your despair. So I will understand. I know that if I understand your sufferings and your difficulties, I will not react like the way I have. Please help me. If you do not help me, who will? And that is the kind of language called compassionate. Uh, loving speech, gentle loving speech, recommended by the Buddha. And you can do it if you have some energy of compassion in your heart. You can easily do it. The retreats of mindfulness that we offer a little bit uh, everywhere in Europe, Asia, and uh, North America, always uh, bring about um, transformation and healing between couples and parents uh, and, and, uh, and uh, partners. Because on the, fourth, on the fourth day of the retreat, everyone is uh, encouraged to apply the teaching of uh, deep listening, compassionate listening, and loving speech in order to restore communication and to reconcile. And the miracle of reconciliation always happens in our retreats. We say, ladies and gentlemen, you have up to midnight tonight to do it. You have received instructions. You have been able, you have been looking deeply into your suffering and his, her suffering. Now it's time to make good use of uh, the practice of loving speech and deep listening. And if the other person in, is in the retreat, that is easy. Because uh, her seat of understanding and compassion has been water during four days. So easy. But if the other person is at home, you can use your telephone. I remember that uh, about uh, 15 years ago in Oldenburg, northern uh, Germany, one gentleman came to me the day, the, the morning after. In fact, four of them came and reported uh, that uh, the night before they had used the telephone and practiced and reconciled with their father. One of them told me this. Dear Thay, in the beginning, I could not believe that I can talk to my father like that. 
I was so angry at him that I made a vow not never to see him again. But uh, since you have uh, told us to do it, I try to do it. And the moment when I composed the number and hear his voice on the other uh, end of the line, I found myself capable of talking to him like that. Daddy, I know you have suffered so much in the last many years. I could not help you to suffer less. And I have made it more difficult for you. I'm sorry. It's not my intention to make you suffer, Daddy. It's because I did not understand your suffering. Please help me. He was able to speak like that. And that opened the heart of uh, the door of, of his father's heart. And he practiced deep listening, compassionate listening. And they reconciled. And he said, Dear Thay, the next thing I'm going to do after this retreat is to go and see him. Compassionate listening is a wonderful practice. You need one hour to listen. And you make the other person suffer less, much less. In, uh, in the West, we use the word uh, listen, listening with empathy, empathic uh, listening. During the time you listen to him or her, you have the willingness to help him or her suffer less. But if you don't know how to listen, and then what the other person say can, can trigger irritation and anger in you, and you will lose your capacity of listening, even if you have the desire to help him or her suffer less. Because what the other person say may be full of wrong perception, accusation, blames, bitterness. And if you don't know how to practice that good, what are the seeds of anger, irritation in you? And you are motivated by the desire to interrupt him and correct him. And then you ruin the, the session of the practice. And that is why when you sit like that and listen, you have to practice what we call mindfulness of compassion. Because mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. Mindfulness of drinking, mindfulness of walking, mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of anger, mindfulness of compassion. Mindfulness of compassion is easy enough for everyone to do. You breathe in. And you tell yourself, I am listening to him with only one purpose, to help him to suffer less. And that is all. So even if the other person says something wrong, full of wrong perception, I'm not going to interrupt him. I wait. I continue to listen. I have time to help him to understand correctly. In three, four days, I can offer him some informations 
so that he can correct his wrong perceptions, but not now. Now is only the time to listen. Mindfulness of compassion protect you. If you have the energy of compassion protecting you, and then what the other person say will not touch off the irritation and anger in you, because you remember that you are listening to help him or her suffer less. And it is compassion that, that protects you. Now he may be full of bitterness, anger, you may be full of wrong perceptions, but you are able to sit and listen to him with compassion. You are a bodhisattva of deep listening, compassionate listening. And if you can sit and listen like that for one hour, that person will suffer much less. If uh, you do not uh, succeed, much, and then you say, darling, shall we can continue another day, but don't try too hard. Because before we start that kind of practice, we have to train ourselves. And I think three or four days of practice are enough for us to use uh, the practice of mindful, uh, of uh, uh, loving speech and deep listening. And it is very certain that the practice of, of loving speech and deep listening, compassionate listening, has have helped so many couples to restore communication and to heal, to reconcile. So that is the kind of work, the kind of achievement that mindfulness can, can help. And that is why we believe that mindfulness practice should be taught in school at any level. And uh, our Dharma teachers in Plum Village have uh, trained many groups of school teachers a little bit everywhere. In India, we have trained thousands of school teachers. In England also, in France, in America. We know that happy teachers will change the world. And with the practice of mindful, mindfulness, they can heal themselves. They can improve the quality of joy and happiness. And they can help uh, heal their students. And we have uh, created uh, uh, wake-up schools movement, a worldwide movement, helping young people and adults to uh, practice mindfulness in order to have a more compassionate uh, uh, society, joyful and peaceful society. One bell of mindfulness 
so we can breathe. Mindfulness is the kind of energy that helps us to know what is happening in the here and the now. That is the definition of mindfulness. When you practice mindful breathing, breathing in, you know that what, hap- what happens in the here and the now is that you are breathing in. If there is tension in your body, and you know that there is tension in my body, breathing in, I know I'm aware of my whole body. And you know that there is some tension in your body to be released. And mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. You can take a shower in mindfulness. You can drive your car in mindfulness. You can do the dishes in mindfulness. And you can enjoy every moment of dishwashing. It's not dirty work. When you water the vegetable garden, you can practice mindful watering. And you enjoy every moment. The one who knows the art of mindful living and can enjoy every moment of his daily life and she enjoyed the present moment. And anything she she does can bring her happiness, including uh, cooking, uh, mopping the floor, uh, cleaning the toilet, it's joyful. Here the monks, the nuns, the lay practitioners, they are trained to enjoy uh, doing these, these kind of things with love. When you do it with love, mindfulness, you don't suffer at all. When you love someone, the best thing you can offer him or her is not what you can buy in the marketplace. No. The precious, the most precious thing you can offer her or him is your true presence. You can practice so that you have a pleasant presence, a, a, a pleasant. Uh, the practice of mindfulness helps you to restore your peace, to restore your freshness and your beauty. Breathing in, I see myself as a flower. 
We are all flowers in the garden of humanity. We are born beautiful like a flower. And many of us do not, uh, are not able to retain our freshness because we lack the practice. We lose our freshness, we lose our beauty because we don't know how to preserve our freshness and our beauty. Breathing in, I see myself as a flower. Breathing out, I feel fresh. And you restore your freshness and your beauty. Breathing in, I know I see myself as still water. Breathing out, I reflect things as they are. And you cultivate peace, tranquility. A person who is not peaceful, tranquil enough, is not a beautiful person. Breathing in, I see myself as space. Breathing out, I feel free. If we have so much worries, um, projects, anger, and then we do not have enough space within and around. And uh, our presence is not uh, uh, beautiful enough to be offered to the person we love. So, uh, the practice of mindful breathing and walking can help you cultivate freshness, beauty, solidity, freedom, and peace. And the practice of walking and, and, uh, and breathing can renew yourself as a flower. And the best thing you can offer him or her, the person you love, is to, is to go to him or to her and say, darling, I'm here for you. This is my present to you. Because uh, you cannot love until you are there. How can you love if you are not there? And to be there is a practice. <clears throat> to be there, mind and body together, is a practice. If you practice mindful breathing, you bring your mind home to your body, and you are there. And darling, this is my offering, my present to you. And your presence may, may have a, a high quality. If you are fresh, if you are beautiful, if you are peaceful, if you are free, and then your presence is a wonderful gift to him or to her, not something you buy from the supermarket. And this is possible with the practice of mindfulness, of breathing, walking, and so on. This is the first mantra. Darling, I am here for you. This is my gift for you. And you can make him or her happy right away. And even if she is not in front of you, uh, you can tell her through telephone. You don't have anything special to say, more, more to say. You just telephone him and say, Darling, you know something? I'm here for you. And that can make him or her happy right away. I guarantee that it will work <laughs> if you have enough uh, freshness and uh, peace in you. 
your presence will be the happiness of the other person. Darling, I am here for you. Is the first mantra of Plum Village. The second mantra is, uh, Darling, I know you are there. I am so happy you are there. To love means to recognize the presence of your beloved one as something you cherish, you treasure. To love means to to be aware of your beloved one, to embrace her, to embrace him with the energy of mindfulness. Suppose uh, you are driving your car and your beloved one is sitting next to you. You think of everything except her. And she, she does not feel that she is loved because she does not have your attention. You are not mindful of her, of her presence. So instead of thinking of uh, the future, you breathe in and out and you smile and say, Darling, you know something? I know you are there. I am so happy. That's the second mantra. The first mantra is to make yourself available, to produce your own presence. The second mantra is to recognize the presence of your beloved one. Your presence is important. If you are really present, you can recognize the presence of your beloved one. Darling, I know you are there. I am so happy. And when you practice the second mantra with mindfulness and concentration, the other person is happy right away. She will bloom like a flower. It's very quick. You don't need 10 years of meditation. (laughs) And children can practice. I was in China teaching the children and they write down uh, the mantras in Chinese. I was in Japan also. The children can practice. They go home and practice with their parents. Daddy, I know you are there. I'm so happy. You cherish the presence of your beloved one. So the first mantra is to produce your presence as a gift. The second mantra is to recognize the presence of your beloved one. And these mantras can bring happiness right away. You can send an email. Your mantra can be in the form of an email. And the third mantra is, um, Darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. When you are mindful, you notice that something does not go well with your beloved one. So what you should do is to stop doing what you are doing and go to her, go to him, and be present. You have not done anything for her yet. But if you practice that mantra, she will suffer less either way. Darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. If uh, your beloved one suffer, 
and uh, if uh, she thinks that you are not aware of that, she suffers more. A lover is always mindful of what is going on in himself or in the other person. So the third uh, mantra can bring relief right away to the person you love. Darling, I'm, I know that you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. What can I do for you to suffer less? And the fourth mantra is a little bit more difficult, but it's very needed in difficult times. When we suffer ourselves and uh, we believe that our suffering has been caused by him or her, the person we love the most. That is uh, when we have to practice the fourth mantra. And you might be reluctant to practice the fourth mantra because there is pride in you. If another person who did so or who, 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 who have done such a thing to you, if another person has said that to you, you would have suffered less. But it's not another person. That is he, him, that is she, the person you love the most, who has said that to you, who has done it to you. That is why you suffer very deeply. And you tend to withdraw, to go to your room, lock your door, and cry. You are so hurt. And when he comes and touch you, you say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You want to punish him for having made, made you suffer. And if uh, he inquires, darling, do you suffer? Is anything wrong? No, I don't suffer. Why do I have to suffer? <laughs> that is the pride in you. And you want to punish him or her for having made you suffer. Many of us do like that. And that's why we don't want to make, uh, to, 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 to practice the fourth uh, mantra. Pride is the obstacle. And in order to practice the fourth mantra, you have to overcome pride. The mantra is, is this, darling, I suffer. Please help. Usually when our beloved one makes us suffer, we want to punish him or her by silently saying, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's the way of punishment. Alone, I can survive very well. I don't need you. And many of us are like that. So we should be able to pronounce the fourth mantra when the situation happens like this. Darling, I suffer, please help. And there are 
them. And if you cannot go to him or to her to pronounce the mantra, you can write it down or send, send it in email. Four lines only. The first line is, darling, I suffer and I know I want you to know it. Because you have made a commitment with her, with him, that you share happiness and suffering. And that is only natural that you, you do like that. You suffer and you openly say that you suffer. Darling, I suffer and I want you to know it. It means uh, I don't understand why you have done such a thing to me. Why I don't understand why you have said a thing to me. I suffer. Please explain. So that first sentence is short. Darling, I suffer and I want you to know it. The second line is uh, I am doing my best because I am a practitioner. As a practitioner, I don't say or I don't do anything when I am angry. I practice mindful breathing, mindful walking, and look into my anger and my suffering to find out whether my anger, my suffering has come from my wrong perception or not. It means that uh, we tell the other person we suffer and we are practicing. I am doing my best means I am a practitioner. I know the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, using mindfulness and concentration to look into my suffering, to find out what is the roots. And the roots may come from my wrong perceptions. So that is also an indirect um, invitation for the other person to practice. He or she will ask themselves, what happened? Did I do something? Did I say something that make him suffer like that? And then the other person has a, a chance to, to look deeply also. That is a, a kind of invitation. And then the third, maybe the last, the third sentence is, please help me because I may not succeed in my practice. I can spend one day, one night and looking deeply into my perceptions, my suffering, but I may not be successful in transformation and so please help. 
In a case I don't succeed, please help. And the practice is that uh, when you suffer, you try to practice. And if uh, after 24 hours you don't succeed, and then you have to send him, you have to go to him or her and pronounce these three sentences. Or if uh, you feel that you are not uh, calm enough, strong enough, and then you can write it down, three sentences, and you give it to him, place on his desk, her desk, and so on. Or you can send the email, just three sentences. Darling, I suffer. I want you to know it. I am doing my best. Please help in the case I do not succeed. And the practice that uh, you should not keep your suffering alone more than 24 hours. That's not good for your health. You have to tell her, you have to tell him. And both of you will practice. There's a history, there's a story about um, Mr. Tung and everyone in Vietnam we know. Injustice, tragedy, because they don't know how to practice the fourth mantra. He was drafted into the army, Mr. Tung. And the day he departed, he cried so much. His, uh, his wife was pregnant. And fortunately, he came home alive after three years of service. And she went with the little boy to the gate of the village to welcome him home. And they cried in each other's arms, so happy. And the first time the, the young father saw his, his child, so according to our tradition, uh, we have to announce the happy news to our ancestors. Every home in Vietnam has an altar for ancestors. We don't want to be disconnected with our ancestors. Every day we have to offer a stick of incense. It takes uh, one minute or so to light a stick and to breathe and to offer incense. It's very important as a practice because we stay connected with our uh, ancestors. And then when something important happens in the family, we have to announce to our, to our ancestors. They have the right to know. Uh, you are their continuation. They have the right to know. If you are about to marry your daughter, you have to, un to inform them. Yeah, you have the duty to inform them. They have the right to know your ancestors. So if uh, your baby is sick, you, you are looking for a doctor, but you have to announce to your ancestors that your baby is sick. So that is our practice for many uh, thousand years. Stay connected with ancestors. It's very helpful. When you are disconnected, uh, you may fall sick, uprooted from ancestors. We have uh, spiritual ancestors and blood ancestors. We have to stay connected. That is why we have an altar 
for ancestors and altar for the Buddha. And here you, many people have uh, an altar for Lord Jesus, but you don't practice uh, ancestral worship, so you don't have uh, an altar for your ancestors. So in principle, uh, so, so she got the permission to go to the marketplace to buy, to do some shopping and prepare an offering to be placed on the altar of ancestors to uh, announce the good news they have the right to know. And while she was away, the young father tried to persuade the little boy to call him daddy, but he refused. Mister, you are not my daddy. My daddy used to come every night and my mother talked a lot to him, and my mother cried with him every time my mother sit down, he sit down. Every time my mother lie down, he lie down also. That's the talking of the baby. And when a young father hear that, he suffers so much. He imagined that there was a, someone who came every night during his absence. So all his happiness vanished. He was victim of a wrong perception. In fact, no one came during the night because uh, there is no electricity at that time. Every night she lighted the kerosene lamp and her and uh, her shadow is projected on the wall. One day, the boy came late. Came home late, and he asked, Mommy, everyone in the hamlet has their own daddy. Why don't I have one? So the young lady thought it's so complicated to talk about war and the army. So she said, she pointed to the shadow, so her shadow on the wall and said, here is your daddy. Why don't you join your palm and say, hello, daddy. So that is the practice. And of course, uh, there were nights when she talked to her own shadow. She was so lonely. My husband, you have been gone for a long time. How could I alone raise your child? And she cried. And of course, when she sit down, the shadow sit down. And when she lay down, the, the, uh, the shadow lay down. And that is the talking of the boy. But he did not understand. He was a victim of a wrong perception. And in our relationship, who can avoid wrong perceptions? And our fear, anger, suffering are born a lot from our wrong perceptions. Having that kind of uh, wound, new wound in his heart, he lost all his joy. That is why when the lady came home, he did not talk to her anymore. He did not look at her anymore. And he, she asked a few questions, he refused to answer. He's so paralyzed with the, the pain. 
And when the offering had been placed on the altar, he lighted incense and he prayed, announcing his return to his ancestors. And he made a prosternation. He he touched the earth three times before ancestors. And after that, he rolled up the mat, um, the mat. He did not allow his wife to, to present herself in front of Abba because he thought that uh, his wife has committed uh, adultery and she is not uh, qualified to present herself uh, in front of ancestors. So his wife is very deeply humiliated. And after that, instead of uh, sitting down and enjoy a meal together, he left for the liquor, for the, for the bar, and tried to forget his suffering with alcohol. And did not come home until one or two o'clock in the morning. And he repeated that for many days. The lady could not stand it anymore. She threw herself into the river and got drowned. Nam Sương lady, Mr. Trương. And uh, when he learned that his wife is dead, he came home and took care of the child. He lighted the, the lamp and suddenly the little boy said, Mr. He is my daddy. He, come, he used to come every night like this and mother cried a lot with him and talked with a lot of him every time she sat down, he sat down. Now, the wrong perception is corrected. Wrong perception is gone and it's too late. Too late. The villagers come and help uh, with the funerals and they learn of the story, they cry a lot, and they build a shrine for her. The shrine is still in Vietnam, on the bank of a river where she got drowned. The emperor of the late dynasty came by and hear the story, so he wrote a poem, inscribed it on the shrine. And that is uh, a lesson for all of us. When you suffer like that, you have to practice the fourth mantra. You have to go to him. If you are Mr. Trung, you have to go to Nam Sung Lady and you say, Darling, I suffer. The, the boy said that during my absence, someone come every night. Why have you done such a thing to me? Please explain. Please help me. And that is the fourth mantra. If he had done like that, she would have had a chance to correct his perception and they would be free from the tragedy. And the lady did not uh, do it either. She was deeply humiliated, wouldn't it? She should have gone to him and said, Darling, I suffer so much. I don't know why the time I came home from the, from the market, you did not look at me anymore. You did not 
talk to me anymore. You did not uh, answer my questions anymore. What I have done in order to deserve such a kind of uh, treatment? Please help. She did not do so. And that's why the tragedy took place. And that is why we should not follow the example of that couple. Next time when we suffer, and if we believe that our suffering has been created by him or her, the person we love the most, we have to remember this story. We have to practice the fourth mantra. Darling, I suffer. Please help. Please explain. I am doing my best, but please help me if I do not succeed. And you may like to write these three sentences down on a piece of paper as big as your credit card and you slip it into your wallet. Next time you get angry at him or at her, remember to take it out and you know exactly what you have to do. Let us uh, stop uh, now and prepare for the walking meditation. We should walk in such a way that uh, make uh, the kingdom of God available, the land of the Buddha available in the here and the now.